Hello, and welcome to the Family Business Podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping family businesses thrive. My name is Russ Hayworth, and each week I will share insights and experiences to help you to navigate the complexities that can come from being in business with your family. You will also hear directly from family businesses who have been kind enough to share their own stories. As ever, I am grateful for the support of my good friends over at the Institute for Family Business. The IFB support family businesses in overcoming their challenges and help them build lasting legacies, something that we have a shared passion for. You can find out more about their work by heading over to ifb.org.uk. Right, let's get on with this week's show. Hello and welcome to this week's show. Uh, I hope you've had a good week, whatever it is that you've been up to. And in this episode, we are going to continue our look at governance and in particular, family governance. We will move on to business governance in later episodes, but for now we are focusing on the family side of things. Now we've already covered what governance is and the purpose of it. That was in episode one. And in a subsequent episode, we've also looked at what a family charter or constitution is and what a family council is. So today we're going to move on to look at what a family assembly is. And as I said in last week's show, all of these tools and and processes and systems all have family in front of them. So it can get a bit confusing when you're talking about family governance, a family charter, a family council and a family assembly. So what I thought I'd do is just give a brief recap on everything that we've covered already in the previous episodes and then we can look at how it all interacts with each other and how you can practically go about putting this stuff in place. The first thing that we need to continue to acknowledge is that family-owned businesses are more complex than their non-family-owned counterparts. Now the primary reason for this is that there are three separate systems at play. So you have an ownership system and a management system, and that exists and often overlaps in non-family businesses. But with a family business, you've also then got this family system, which interacts with both the ownership and management systems. And it creates a level of complexity that this type of governance or the tools and, and systems we're talking about is designed to manage and enhance the relationship between the business owning family and the business itself. Because we're discussing family governance, it's likely that the family system is going to be the most likely one to be impacted by the introduction of what we're talking about. But again, I think it's important to reiterate that the idea behind this is to improve the relationship between the family as a a wider general family system and the business. So that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody within the family works within the business. And so there can be communication issues, and this is all designed to help solve that. And as we said in episode two, the starting point, the, the foundation of all of this is a family charter or a family constitution. This document outlines the values and visions of you as the business owning family, and it's your opportunity to commit to what you would see as the purpose of the business. If you go back and listen to the episode, we also cover in there the other sort of practical elements of what the family charter or constitution can cover. 
so dividend policy or ownership philosophy, who can join the family business, any type of employment policies, those sorts of things. But I'll also reiterate that the value in having a family charter is not necessarily in the charter itself. Now, that might sound a bit counterintuitive, but it's more about the discussions that go into the creation of the charter that have the value. The charter itself is a fantastic output from those discussions, but the discussions themselves are where the real value lies. Now, this was brought into focus uh, this week. I received a report from the Family Firms Institute who are based over in the States. Um, They have a practitioner publication uh, that obviously I receive um, copies of. And that reiterates what I've been banging on about over the last four or five episodes in that the document itself, the physical document itself, is very much the tip of the iceberg. That report in the FFI practitioner advises against the use of off-the-shelf solutions and copy and paste exercises, which is what I've been going um, on about in these episodes um, as well. So the, the point of this is that the value here is in the process of putting these family governance tools in place. To a certain extent, putting a family charter in place could be really easy. You could just get that template from somewhere, chuck a few buzzwords in, sign it and stick it in a drawer. But to me, that misses the point. The purpose of the charter is for it to be a living document that the family can embrace and unite behind. Ensuring the process is followed and followed in a genuine way can be tricky. I'm in the process of putting it together. And that's part of the reason why we suggest that these are facilitated. That's obviously something we can help with. There are other professionals out there who can help with that as well. But for the family charter to be effective once the process has actually finished, it should be something that everyone has contributed to. So if you picture the scene, you had a document thrust under your nose and said, sign it. And by the way, you've got to live up to whatever's in there without having any input into creating it, would you actually sign that document? So as I say, it's the process that is so important and why the benefits of doing it well are so much more than just playing lip service to it. So as I say, family charters are the starting point of good family governance. And in my view, a good idea for all family businesses, no matter how big or small, they are the flag to gather around. That They're the the purpose of why you're doing what you're doing, the the reason why you're potentially having sleepless nights, etc. Having that family charter as, yes, we know we're doing this for the right reasons, is really, really important. So even if you're a smaller business and don't think that the governance applies to to your circumstances, I would suggest it's a good time to look at it um, now anyway. So as your business grows and the complexity increases, you can add additional layers of governance. So the one we spoke about um, last week was the Family Council. As a reminder, they gather the views and opinions of family members, be that the owners or otherwise. And then they create that communication bridge with the board of directors within the business itself. And they help to ensure that there is cohesion between the business owning family and the business itself. So again, care is needed when putting this in place to make sure that the right people are on the 
the family council because they play such an important role in communication it's good to have the right people doing that role and this is where it may also be desirable and sensible to have a family assembly or family meeting or retreat they've got various different names and this is what we're going to look at in more detail in this show but just before we do that to explain briefly how it all knits together you would have the family charter and that outlines the vision and purpose of the business along with some of the other matters that we discussed earlier and in episode two you then have a family council that acts as the bridge between the business owning family and the business typically via the board of directors and then on the other side you have the family assembly this is theoretically on the other side of the bridge the family council in the middle with the business and the board on one side and the family assembly or retreat on the other side and a family assembly would typically consist of all of at least all of the adult members of the family whether they're shareholders or not and whether they work in the business or not some families decide to include children some people have an age limit of 16 or 12 and it, this is something that you would decide as a family yourself to understand which age group you would want attending these um, meetings but the idea and purpose of them is to help foster a sense of belonging and emotional ownership amongst the wider family group many of this group are not likely to be involved in the day-to-day working in the business and quite often aren't owners of the business either and so having a forum where they can come together and meet up with family that uh, they may not see at any other time during the year and to understand what's going on within the business while they're doing that is generally a, a pretty good thing. They're normally held on an annual or sometimes biannual basis and are there to promote family cohesion. If you imagine the scenario we had before where there's family members who don't own or work in the business but are linked via this family business, there can be a danger that there's an us and them culture created between those that either work in the business or own the business and those that don't. And so having a family retreat or assembly where everybody can get together and um, have the same access to, to the important information can help to avoid this us and them situation and then future conflicts down the line with you know cousin groups falling out or, or beyond that. And another benefit is that they give the wider family an opportunity to feed back to the board how they're feeling about the business. So typically this would be done via the family council, but that could be on such things as dividend levels, overall direction of the business, whether they've got feedback on a particular product or marketing campaign. They can have this forum where members of the family council will hold particular sessions to allow the feedback of that family to be gathered to be fed back to the board of directors. Family retreats are often structured, but are in essence informal meetings. And it's important to point out that any of the discussions or viewpoints put forward are not binding on the company. Now that doesn't diminish the validity of the meetings or the views are expressed at these meetings. And in my view, it's always better that these views are heard and are heard in a safe, supportive environment than to let them fester and create future challenges or conflicts in the family business or or the wider family. 
The family assemblies or retreats will have a very strong element of training and education attached to them. It's a fantastic opportunity to bring outside um, people in to provide education on things like business matters such as finance, marketing, accounting, what have you, um, and also to potentially discuss family dynamics, so the complexity that comes from being in business with each other. If there are educational sessions that are held with family members as to why these complexities exist, it can go some way to helping to avoid, again, any future uh, challenges that might arise. Whilst it's an opportunity to educate everybody, the focus tends to be on the next generation. And that can have a, a couple of um, very strong benefits. So firstly, you are teaching the next generation what they need to know about the business if they were to be coming into that, but also to help identify who within the family group is interested in taking on future roles. Now, that's not always within the business itself. So it could potentially be part of the family council or the role of family champion that we've discussed in uh, again in the previous episode. So it's a great opportunity to highlight talent and then nurture that talent within the family group via um, specific training uh, or development programs that can come from these family assemblies. Because the overall purpose of the family assembly is to create cohesion and bonds between family members who, remember, might only see each other at these meetings, it's really important that there's a fun and social element to them as well. There's no good getting everybody sat together just to talk about business all day because if they're not interested, then they'll switch off. They won't develop relationships with um, cousins or um, distant relatives in the same way. So having designated activities such as dinners, sporting events or any other bonding activities can help to develop those stronger relationships and encourage better teamwork between family members who might not work together now, but will do in the future. And if they've got that bond that's been created through these family meetings, then it can um, be a huge advantage when they do start working um, together. In terms of who attends the meetings, this again is something that would generally be discussed during the creation of the family charter. But my view is that if the overall aim is for this to be as inclusive as possible, it could be a case of the more the merrier. Perhaps the thorniest issue with that approach, though, is whether spouses or partners should be included or whether the family would prefer to keep this to direct descendants only, as an example. My view is that irrespective of what decision is made, it's really important to acknowledge that whether you like it or not, partners and spouses are going to have an influence on the family members that are within um, the, the family business. And could also, because they're from um, outside the family, bring a different approach and different ideas to such meetings. So if there are certain things that you want to be predominantly focused on just the business and it might be on ownership you might want to just have direct descendants going to those types of sessions, but then to have other sessions open to everybody and especially the social elements, because again, the more family cohesion there is, the better the um, opportunity for the family business itself. So normal question, how do you get started? And as I mentioned um, earlier on, it, the desire for and the makeup of the family retreat or assembly will 
basically be dictated by the size of your business and the size of your family. So this could be one of those discussions that you have when you're putting together your family charter. During these discussions, you might decide that actually having a family council is enough, that there is not enough people within this family to justify having an annual away day at a nice hotel to talk to the same people who make up the family council. And so they're not necessarily essential for every family business, but when the business gets to a certain size or when it gets to a certain sort of generation group, so generation three, when we're starting to see cousins interact who aren't growing up in the same houses, aren't necessarily growing up in the same towns or cities, having these kind of get togethers can be really encouraging for um, the development of those relationships. So my suggestion would be to have those discussions when you're putting together your family charter and decide at that point at what stage do we think it's relevant to introduce the family um, assembly or family retreat in order to be able to communicate to the wider family group what's going on within uh, the business. If one is needed now and you're looking at your family group going, okay, we could really do with some form of communication form to, to help everybody understand what's going on in business, I would suggest assigning the responsibility of organising this retreat to somebody on the family council. It's then their role to canvas opinions on what sort of content the wider family would find useful within that and also to communicate with the board as to what they would expect in terms of education to be provided at such a retreat. So there's a few tips on how to get started. And as I say, with any of the issues that we discuss on these shows, if I can be of any assistance, please do not hesitate to contact me. My email address is russ at thefbc.co.uk and we can set up a call uh, and help get things started for you. So um, I hope that's been useful. It's a brief look at what family assemblies are and the interaction between them and the other elements of governance that we've been discussing. Next week, we're going to be moving on to family business boards. So we will be discussing the role and responsibilities and makeup of family business boards. But until next time, take care. I hope you found this episode useful. If you have, then why not share it with your family and see what they think? I work with families just like yours to help them to better understand the complexities that can come with being a family in business. So whether you're just starting out or heading into the umpteenth generation, if you feel that I could help, check out fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ and get in touch. Until next time, take care.